Will the TFI revival mean a comeback for Reef? Does Zadie Smith feel the pressure to maintain white teeth? You'll remember last episode we were discussing which city or country wouldn't be too hot or too cold but just right for our very own Goldilocks, Pat from Canada. Uh, Well, Helen, you suggested Tasmania. Yes. Ben has said don't choose Tasmania. I live there. Uh, and working out- <laughs> I don't want you anywhere near. <laughs> Stay out. Uh, and working outside this morning in Tasmania, it was minus five degrees Celsius. Oof. Uh, bad suggestion, Helen. Sorry. Um, I could have got that wildly wrong as well because I'd never concentrated once in geography class. Literally not once. Do you know where Tasmania is? <laughs> no. You know where Tasmania is because in Neighbours, when they want somebody to go not too far, but far enough away, they never have to employ them again. They're like, oh, yeah, she's gone to Tassie. Anyway, I thought in Tasmania there were various different climates, but uh, sorry. Try and cancel the plane ticket, Pat. Someone called Unpopcult, who is on Twitter, says, how about Sucre or Chochabamba in Bolivia for Pat and her husband? Spring all year round. Indeed, this town is known as City of Eternal Spring. Oh, but she needs City of Eternal Autumn if she's retiring there, right? (laughs) Nice. Rob suggests that Bogota in Colombia is the perfect location for Pat from Canada. The average temperature is 14.5 centigrade, 58 Fahrenheit. Other similar locations that are equatorial but at altitude would also suit her temperature needs. That is very smart. Mm. Equatorial for the uh, constants, but high altitude for the coolness. Reed says Pat from Canada can find a pleasant climate in Canada at Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. Uh, It has a Mediterranean climate unthinkable in Canada. Yeah, I'm not sure this is right. Uh, And is close by to Victoria, the capital of BC, and Vancouver. If Pat prefers to be in a bigger place, then Victoria is always nice. You went and you thought it was just all right, didn't you? Yeah, it wasn't that nice when we went on our honeymoon. It was raining. Yeah, we went to the cinema and they started the film 40 minutes early, so we missed half of it. What was it? Source Code. That's really confusing to miss the first 40 minutes of Source Code. Yeah, you can't watch Source Code having missed the beginning. Well, we kind of of worked out what happened given the repetitive nature of the film. But then they gave us free tickets to Bridesmaids, so it worked out all right oh very good nice one and a half bill we've had another question of relocation from a lady in israel who prefers to remain anonymous but says i am a journalist and i write for a lifestyle magazine here in israel Uh, i do about 90 percent of my work via the internet from home and i don't need to go into the office mostly i use skype interviews mail and internet research much like doing this yeah it's astonishing to think this is how modern journalism operates, even in the Middle East, and yet the BBC spent millions moving people to Salford. Um, <laughs> well, Salford, you really have to experience from the ground. Oh, absolutely. Because otherwise, you don't get to go to the outlet mall. That, Can't that's do right. that online. No, I mean, unlike in Israel, there's, there's plenty of important news happening outside your door in Salford. <laughs> yeah, if your door is where they film all the BBC news talking heads. Uh, she continues, the last time I went to the office was eight months ago. Oh, good one, Anonymous that Lady. Yeah, uh, I am now thinking, she says about going abroad for a year or two. But I hesitate to ask my editors if that would be okay with them, especially since there are a lot of cutbacks and redundancies in the magazine. But you've saved them so much money by not using their toilet roll. She says, being able to work from virtually anywhere, I feel I could do my job adequately, even from the moon. Uh, So Helen, answer me this. Do I tell my editors I want to move and risk being fired, or do I not tell them, continue communicating with them uh, via email and WhatsApp and stuff, and just visit every three or four months for the tasks that I can't do from afar. Oh, well, when you put it like that, it seems like you'd be able to get away with it if you haven't seen them for eight months. I think don't 
deceive them by lying to them because that yes. will count against you. If they ask you outright, you have to tell them, but don't volunteer the information. It's not yeah. important where you are. As you point out, it's not affecting your day-to-day work. And you could always pretend that you'd gone to follow a story that you hadn't got all of the information for yet so you can't tell them what it is. Maybe it's not that kind of magazine. She says lifestyle. That's yeah. very broad. That covers everything from Reader's Digest exactly. to Reader's Wives. What, what, <laughs> what if your lifestyle was being 5,000 miles from work? <laughs> yeah. Easy. Uh, if she moves house, though... Yep. She may legally have to provide a new address for invoices and uh. stuff, and then that will flag it up. So it's going to come up. But I guess by that time, then it would possibly even be illegal for them to discriminate against you by firing you because you've changed address. Could she get, say, a P.O. box, and she's saying she's only going to go abroad for a year or two. Hmm. That would probably work. Yeah, but then if ever the editor wants to pop round for a cup of tea, you'll have to get a friend to dress up like Connie Booth pretending to be Sybil in Forty Towers. Well, <laughs> if she hasn't been there for eight months, they might not even remember what she looks like. And it seems unlikely that the editor would pop round unannounced after such a long estrangement. There is precedent in um, contemporary history for very renowned journalists writing about a city from a completely different country. Yeah. Um, John Law renowned American essayist, contributor to The New Yorker, profiler and all the rest, mm. history as a Broadway theatre critic, mm-hmm. uh, lives in London. Huh. Does it all from London. So oh, albeit he, he did live in New York for 20 years. But how, did, how does he review theatre shows? Like? He doesn't anymore. He's okay. more senior now. Okay, so he, so he, he doesn't he, just try and blag that. No, but it he... It sounds like it's going to be shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's sometime, which means none of the tunes are catchy. But I think what he's... <laughs> what Three he, stars. <laughs> what he's secretly done, I think, is... Uh, done profiles of people like Barry Humphreys and Neil LeBute and kind of international theatre practitioners when they're in London and yeah. then written it for a New York magazine as if it's because they're in New York. It's quite clever, really. Yeah. So, you know, Why your not? average New Yorker, New Yorker reader wouldn't know he wasn't a New Yorker too. Isn't there someone who does uh, an overnight show on British radio who uh, does it from Boston, Massachusetts? Yeah, you say that like I wouldn't be aware of this, like I wasn't cursing him every day yeah. that I worked overnight. It would have been perfect for you, one till four in the morning, if you'd been living in say Los Angeles your dream place to yes. live yes alright Helen some people have it better <laughs> a yeah. lovely late afternoon job for you yeah. but if you've been doing that and being like oh yeah London things from underneath your palm tree it's difficult <laughs> isn't it yeah getting into the character of someone reporting on the middle of the night London yeah I, cool. I think isn't it difficult when you try and go surfing and there's not enough waves <laughs> oh, in <geezer>. London <laughs> Oliver Thornton Flowers Helen and Ollie answer me this why are there no Greg the Bakers in Cornwall I have a bet on with my best man, and it may result in me having the Greg's logo tattooed onto my bottom. So I'd like to know why there aren't any, so I can prove him wrong and save my bum. Point one, do not make bets where a tattoo is the loser's outcome, or winner's, it doesn't make it clear. Point two, are there definitely zero Greg's in Cornwall? There aren't any Greg's in Cornwall, None. No. There are none. What about wow. in neighbouring Devon? There is one near Exeter, that's the closest. Right. Uh, there's a lot around Bristol. Um, so it's not a total West Country embargo. No, it is specifically a Cornish one, and that is why there are some conspiracy theories out Ooh. there. So let me outline it for okay, you. Okay, thank you. And I imagine, Oliver, you, with your bet with the best man, you've, you, your debate is, is probably between these two different positions, and I'm going to come down on one side. Okay. Okay, so argument number one as to why there are no Cornish Greggs uh, is, I, I suppose, what I'll call the pragmatic argument, um, that Cornwall is a relatively remote place within the UK. They'd need to build a, a bakery, you know, a factory, a centralised factory in the West Country to be able to supply all of those bakeries. And, you know, for example, there isn't one north of Aberdeen either. You know, when you get into right. slightly more remote places away from big cities, there aren't so many Greggs. So there's no Greggs at either John or Groats or Land's End. Correct. Uh, however, 
where north of Aberdeen differs from, say, Penzance and St Ives is there are fuckloads of tourists in Cornwall. And yes, it's seasonal, but it's for like six months of the year. So uh, they could, theoretically, couldn't they, shift a lot of bread rolls at lunchtime and sustain a business. Mm. So that is why I come down on argument number two, that it's all about the Cornish pasty. Mm. Uh, the Cornish pasty is such an emblematic, iconic feature of that Cornwall. Greg's wouldn't dare... They wouldn't dare. Well, more likely, just Cornish people wouldn't shop there. They'd shop with a local chain. That they don't need the negative publicity of a rebellion, basically. Yeah. You know, because Greg's is a northern chain. Right. People up north love cheap food that makes you fat. You know, as oh they've God. gone down south. Why would you say Holly. this? I'm talking about the Greg's customer here. I doubt there's anyone listening in Sheffield sounded, who's going to disagree with that. It sounded like you were being a little bit broader than that. Well, uh, <laughs> as you come further south, Greg's has uh, traded on that proud heritage as offering uh, cheap uh, snacks to... Uh, uh, people who want uh, the kind of sandwich that your nan would make at lunchtime. And in Cornwall, there would be a rebellion. There wouldn't be the enthusiasm that they see when they typically open a brunch of Greg's and undercut the competition on the high street. You know, you think, oh, sandwich, only one pound instead of three pound fifty. There would instead be people saying they're selling pasties. They're not even proper pasties because they're not made in Cornwall. And they're undercutting our local Cornish bakers. What if Greg's did regional variations as McDonald's is prone to do? And so they didn't sell pasties in Cornwall, but they still sold eight sausage rolls and eight donuts for a pound or whatever it is they do it's possible that that would roll <laughs> pardon the pun oh. uh, but um, nonetheless i still think it's the home of the pasty the pasty by the way is a, a, a protected geographical indicative food now um so you can only actually call it a pasty if it's in cornwall anyway so greg's have now called it a lattice yeah um, or a slice yeah so i just don't think knowing that it's the company that makes the thai chicken lattice is not going to cut it in cornwall Here's a question from Pete in Ealing who says, My ex-housemate, who lived with us for six months, two years ago, was very religious. We no longer have any contact except that at Easter, Christmas and New Year... Is New Year a religious festival, really? Well, that's a good point, isn't it? Uh, I suppose... In Russia. Yeah, you're right. It's not really in England, is it? Anyway, uh, on uh, Easter, Christmas and New Year, she will send me, and presumably the rest of her phone book, a very religious text message. I wish he'd provided an example of a very (laughs) religious text message. I'm at best agnostic, says Pete, and don't really appreciate these messages, so Helen, answer me this. Short of replying with the word unsubscribe (laughs) in block capitals, (laughs) how do I get myself off her Christian mailing list without upsetting her on what is clearly a very important day for her? Well, why can't you just block her number? If she's only contacting you for that, so you wouldn't be like you were missing out on other comms from her. Can you do that? Yeah, on, on iPhone you can. Can you? Yes. So someone tries to text you and they say, yeah. I'm trapped down a well, you're my last chance. Tough shit. You're not going to get it. Maybe Pete could start playing with her and, and rising the text messages, but creating a little counter narrative where he's like possessed by Satan or something. Otherwise, I mean, me not being someone who knows how to block people's numbers. Tech expert Ollie Mann. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> really, it. is it's it? It's three texts you've got exactly. to delete three a year. year. Yeah, is, is it really all that more irritating than PPI messages or discount deals to watch Frankie Boyle at the O2? You know, I think <laughs> it's on a par. I get those I, and I look down and I think, oh, that's an offer I'm not interested in. But I'm, I actually quite like being offered things that I'm not interested in because Weird. it's only by being offered things I'm not interested in. You realise how rich you are in this life. No, that you can qualify what you are interested in. I look at it and I think, well, I could be the kind of person who'd be interested in 40% off Frankie Boyle at the O2. I'm not. That's made me feel better about myself. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, when you get this text, just think, oh, that's a path my life could go down. I'm choosing not to. 
but ultimately I would delete it rather than get in touch and ask them to take me off the list because you don't want that embarrassing confrontation with them because they're not really thinking of you as, as you say Pete when she texts it to you she's really texting everyone in her phone book well you don't know that she you could think know. very special things about Pete and his godlessness but I suppose Pete think it's not necessarily for you it's for her and allow exactly. her this pleasure at these sacred times of year and also new year that exactly. is not sacred she thinks she's more likely to go to heaven by doing this so let her just, think that. just trying to help the, the truth is as well um that if this woman is anything like the guy who stands outside leicester square tube station singing from the bible on a saturday night um she's not going to listen to criticism she's not going to take it on board if you say uh you know good to hear from you thanks very much but actually can you not send me these things every easter she's not going to change tack she's going to carry on she's going to think he needs me even more yeah doesn't mm. realize but he does this yeah. is a challenge sent to test me now, regular listeners will know that around this point of the show, we play a jingle with our email address in it to help you remember such an ungainly email address. Don't reveal the tricks of the trade, Helen. It was a pragmatic decision that became an artistic one. Uh, <laughs> but listener Clem says, here's a version of your lovely jingle that I've made less lovely by creating it out of bits of other songs. Try to recognise the artist. Amazing. So it's a plug for our email address and a game at the same time. And a copyright nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Clem. Here it is. If you got a question, then you question to If you were playing along at home, you, you can find out who was in it. Queens of the Stone Age. Them Crooked Vultures. Madeline Peru. Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Elvis. Chet Baker. Muse. Oh. C.W. Stone King. Who's that? I don't know who that is. No, I don't know who it's that whoever is. whoever was before Ella Fitzgerald. The Beatles. Rufus Thomas. Rage Against the Machine. Elvis Costello. Screaming oh. Jay Hawkins. Oh. Eminem. Elton John. And Nirvana. Martin got Nirvana, well done. You got you're, Nirvana. You're the real Muso, Martin. <laughs> I, was a bit, I found it a bit disorienting. Here's a question from Will from the DC metro area who says, I genuinely enjoy spending time with my siblings. That's nice. Uh, one of them has moved away, Aww. my older brother, uh, whilst the other is currently living at home, my older sister. Yay. This is a bit like a round robin, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> one of them is no longer in the DC metro area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other one is. Uh, however, continues Will, whenever my sister and I are out doing something, like going to the Renaissance Festival or watching the Six Nations tournament in a bar, people we don't know seem to assume that we are in a relationship, even if we're with a small group. How would you know? I know this because on multiple occasions, people, mostly men, have explicitly addressed me under the assumption that I was her boyfriend. Ooh. Mm. It has happened to me sometimes uh, people have assumed that I am my brother Andy's wife. Really? Because we both have the surname Zaltzman. I wonder whether they assume that when he's out with my dad, uh, they're married because they have the same surname. Everyday <laughs> <laughs> sexism. Uh, as, <laughs> as you might imagine, continues Will, this all feels rather uncomfortable to me and it just bothers me to think that random people are assuming we're a couple. It's not like we're affectionate with one another. Heaven forfend. Oh. Um, or hold hands or some shit. Girls, cooties, gross! Uh, beyond the fact that it just makes me feel gross, it also puts me in the weird position of inadvertently warding off her potential suitors, for lack mm. of a better term. 
Uh, on the other hand, continues Will, uh, there have been at least two occasions where men have asked me if it's all right if they flirt with her, which I guess is considerate. Why don't they ask her? Exactly, yeah. I tell them it's none of my business and then they proceed to act like sexist assholes or the world's worst pickup artists. So it probably is good that you're there usually to deter them. Uh, everything about this, says Will, feels uncomfortable and icky. Uh, so, Helen, answer me this. I'm glad he's asked this to you because, of course, I don't have a brother or a sister None or a of care in the world. No. Uh, how can I dispel these assumptions without being weird about it or having to explicitly tell people she's my sister? I don't think wearing a shirt that says I'm her brother would go down well. I, d- I wonder how this is a big problem because very rarely do i have this with my brothers Mm. and i think it's because we don't act in a touchy-feely way with each other or in any way to indicate we're a couple maybe they cuddle a lot i don't know so he said they don't you said that they don't don't hold hands or any of that shit i think that would definitely cover hugging they just kiss a lot i actually think what it might be and i'm saying this as someone who is an only child Mm -hmm. in my experience of people who do have siblings generally speaking grown adults Mm -hmm. aren't that close to their siblings now that's not the same all over the world of course but i'm talking about london here and i imagine dc therefore quite a work orientated professional environment as well quite similar metro area still still um i imagine it might be the case that generally you meet adults in a bar and they're not with their brothers and sisters and so the general public around you are probably going to assume that you are first of all a couple if not a couple you are perhaps colleagues uh, and if not colleagues, just friends, before they jump to the conclusion of brother and sister. That okay. is how my brain works when I meet two adults together. Well, statistically, it's much more likely that they would be friends or lovers or, or colleagues than... Cause the brother you, and sister. Because yeah. the parents aren't there. If you saw a family together, then you'd know. Well, also, just most people have more friends than they have siblings. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Unless yeah, yeah. they have very few friends. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe this is an evening bar situation, whereas if you were somewhere in the day, it wouldn't necessarily be such a surprise. Still, if you saw a grown man and grown woman sitting on a park bench together enjoying a sandwich, you'd still in that order, I think. You'd think couple, colleagues, friends. But I think maybe there's something about the body language. It doesn't have to be, like, touchy-feely, but I think there's probably a certain amount of relaxation yes. you have around someone that you've known your whole life. That familial... But I think maybe that's what it is. People just see that, that relaxation and maybe there's, like, mutual like laughter and all that kind of thing yeah. that you have with anyone that you're close to. For yeah. me, it horrifies me more than when people might assume that my brothers and I are a couple than when people assume you and I are a couple, Ollie. That's the worst to me. Although, now that's an interesting point. People, no offence, not it, about you. It's uh, just more about our relationship. Sure, it's not It's not about me. It's just about the way that you hate me. Yeah. But <laughs> it's a very special targeted hate. <laughs> but actually, I don't find it surprising when people think we're brother and sister. No, no, not at all. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. In fact, we do have quite a siblingly relationship in yeah. that I don't feel the need to be polite to you at all. Yeah, noted. Mm. <laughs> Easy solution yeah. for Will, but it would still involve the other people making a snap judgment about him would be for him to pretend that he's gay. Yeah, but then there's quite a lot of artifice going on in this evening. Yeah, but mm. it seems like that's where we're going. And actually, we don't know he's not gay. That's true. So he could be gay and people are still reaching this conclusion. That doesn't help. I think what you have to do, Will, and this is the best I'm going to give you, I'm afraid, is you have to, and you know, you might think this is sexist, but whatever. I think you have to introduce her as your sister to everyone. So you have to say, hey, have you met my sister? Whatever her name is. Just examine your body language, Will. You don't have to hold hands to look intimate. I think just uh, look a bit uncomfortable together and that will probably work. <laughs> That's what most couples are like, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just imagine you have been married for 10 years. If um, I'm out with my grandmother, my father, and my mother that is a hot pack of mans um, <laughs> but not my girlfriend mm-hmm. people look at that foursome and assume 
that my father and my grandmother are married because my father looks his age. My grandmother looks about 15 years younger than her age. I think younger than that. So the same age roughly as my dad actually is. And my mum also looks about 15 years younger than her actual age. So it looks like basically, and because I look a bit older than my age, I think, it looks like me and my mum are roughly the same age. Maybe my mum's like five years older than me. So people assume that me and my mum are a couple. I would never assume. My dad and my grandma are a couple. Mm. And everyone... Everyone thinks that's funny apart from my dad. But he's he's the luckiest one. Uh, because he's Ter- actually screwing the person who looks like they're 35. And and also Terry's a hot piece, so your yeah. dad uh, has it always. <laughs> I wouldn't assume that you and your mum are a couple because you're dressed as if you wouldn't even go in the same circles. Yes, basically, shorthand for you listeners, I'm dressed as uh, Safi from uh, Absolutely Fabulous and she's dressed as Adina. Yeah, and Patsy in one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my dad's dressed as Elliot Gould and my grandma's dressed as Joan Rivers. That's basically the look. It's, it's an eye-catching group, isn't it? Is. It is, yeah, Apart yeah. from you two guys who are letting it down. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we now present the intermission, brought to you today by episode 29, available now at answermethisstore.com. Hugo says, Helen, answer me this. Recently, I received a soaking... Courtesy of a rain shower while cycling to work. What a bitch. My top was fine, but I'd forgotten waterproof trousers. What are the point of waterproof trousers? I I, I think you'll find in the course of this question what the point is, Oliver. (laughs) But they're so ridiculous. Let's not mention the fake leather trousers that you had. (laughs) That's the disadvantage listeners. Shopping village in Bicester. The disadvantage listeners of doing any kind of entertainment device with anyone that you've known for more than a few years is that they can drag up these things from your late teenage. Years. Thank you, Helen. Late teenage, you're in your 20s. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Hugo, continue. Hugo, they were cheap, they were 30 quid. They were not cheap. Something horrible is not a bargain. Need to cut your legs dry in a shower. Hugo continues. You remember Hugo, listeners, he's the one that sent us that question uh, that he was in a rain shower on the way to work, uh, that he'd forgotten his waterproof trousers, so he bought some replacements and left his own trousers to dry at work. At the end of the day, I took the new trousers back. For a refund. Is this morally wrong or am I justified in my actions? Well, interesting. It depends whether you think clothes shops are a library or not. (laughs) Listeners, please do dump your questions on the question line, which you can call by dialing the following number. 02081235877 Or by Skyping Answer Me This. I'm Adam from London. Helen and um, Ollie, answer me this. With my limited experience of film premieres, um, I was wondering, do the stars actually go in and watch the film in the cinema um, like a regular punter? Star of the films Channing Tatum said in a Reddit AMA this very week, he was giving out a competition for somebody to come to the premiere of Magic Mike XSL with him. He was saying, no one ever goes, it's just publicists and stuff who are actually mm. inside the film but you get to go with him and a bunch of publicists to see the film which presumably means he's going to be sitting through yeah, it. Wilson, watch it it often depends frankly on whether or not there's a uh, another press opportunity after the screening like so for example there'll be a Q&A often on stage with the director or something won't there often a very soft one because obviously it's being paid for by the film's publicity team what? Uh, so there'll they'll be a journalist who's paid to say how great it is and ask them unthreatening questions but if that's happening on stage after the film screening then sometimes the talent 
have to be there for that yes um but i, th- I reckon they'll often fuck off into chinatown don't you think for a for a sticky fried rice and come oh, back for the q and a yeah lovely because they've seen it also a lot of people can't bear to watch themselves on screen like mm. al pacino he's like well once the film is done you just can't do that because it's too late to change it I love it when film stars say that because it's just the worst possible publicity, you know, even yeah. though you understand where they're coming from. It's I'm like when, not watching that shit. Yeah, it's like Woody Allen's publicity for the uh, Amazon stuff he's been making. Have you heard of it? It's oh, where he's like, oh, it's torture. It's, it's awful. Yeah. It's- this was the worst decision of my professional life. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can find worse. It's just, the, <laughs> it's just the worst possible negative campaign to run beforehand. Yeah. But yeah, it somehow so, works for him, doesn't it? So, I mean, I guess like a London premiere is a relatively big deal. But like how many premieres must they have well, to go to? Yeah. Yeah. And they go to Paris, so many now. Yeah. Well, now like they have soul. And all yeah. of it, after all, if you're a big American star, is just the European leg. You know, you've yeah. already done five openings in the US. Yeah, and then uh, the Asian market is big now. And let's be honest, Magic Mike XL, or is it extra, extra XL. large? XL. Yeah, they all wear very big T-shirts. Uh, it's not a film that's designed to be seen more than once, even for the protagonist, I should imagine. I don't know. I'd bet there were some women who would disagree with you. I thought the first one was meant to be very good. The first one is very good. Is it Steven Soderbergh? It is Steven Soderbergh, yeah. And it is it is, it is an, an entertaining and dramatic piece of fiction. I only saw a, a few minutes from the very end. It seemed to be a lot of staring up Matthew McConaughey's Norge. Um. <laughs> but how many times do you think you could stomach sitting through your own film before you just became profoundly depressed? I've listened to episodes of Answer Me This that we're in the process of putting together or resubmitting for something at most five times before yeah. feeling nauseous. Yeah, so you wouldn't make it even outside of the USA leg of premieres. Well, also, if you're the director, then mm. you've sat in a cutting room probably 500 times. I mean, it must be unbearable. You're just watching it thinking, oh, well, that's a bit crap, isn't it? We should change that bit. Or you can oh, still see the line on his hair. Wish I hadn't used that Nord shot. But then again, <laughs> if there's supposed to be an audience reaction, if it's a comedy or a musical, then actually mm. it's probably quite nice to see it with people who haven't poured millions of dollars into the film and are worried that it's no good. Like, it must be quite nice if you see it with a room full of people and they genuinely jump with terror or, or yeah, laugh. But if that it's a room nice. full of publicists who are just like... Oh, just waiting for the free booze. Publicists are human beings too, Helen. I know, but they're they're working late often, if they're going to a premiere. Apparently, often as well, it's people who have given favours to the film, the caterer or the insurance person. They're the people that get the free seat in exchange for their work. So it's it's like an extra little um, sweetener you can you can do when you're trying to blag stuff. Basically, what well, do you want tickets to the premiere? You know, or you can give them always competition prizes. Yeah, but do Sounds they specify good. which premiere? No, like if, if it's not one of the good ones i think every premiere now is quite good in the sense that it's a good party like the the stakes have been raised because i guess in the old days you know pre-internet the european premiere wouldn't be actually seen by people in america but now Mm. you know pictures of tom cruise standing in leicester square get beamed back to california instantly don't they it's pretty much dressed up like a theme park set I mean, well, you have to to cover up the Leicester squareness of it all. Yeah, but there's acrobats, there's rock bands. I mean, it's full on. It's yeah. it's not just like some stars on a carpet anymore. It's a it's a proper show. Yeah, it's because they need the coverage. Yeah, it's exactly. just not an interesting story. No, it's not, is it? Yeah, film opens. Yeah. I mean, that effectively now just means a file has been sent to a computer. Something may appear on Netflix in two months. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, here is another question of Cinema from Callum, who seems to have been um, provoked into writing in because of your mention of the Milton Keynes point uh, in Answer Me This, episode 314. He says, Ollie happened to mention that Milton Keynes point was the first multiplex cinema in the UK. This immediately took me back to childhood memories of the Unit 4 cinema in Wallasey on Merseyside. Mm -hmm. This had four screens and later extended to become the Apollo 6. 
Now, I'm not sure of the dates, but I was certainly going to the Unit 4 in the mid to late 70s, and it was a bit old and grotty then. That was the style of the 70s, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. So it must have opened way before the point opened, which Google says happened in 1985. It did indeed happen in 1985. And closed in 2015, by the way. The point really? is no longer with us, yeah. Oh, oh that recent, though? Yeah. Uh, anyway, says Callum, I don't want to big up the Unit 4, as it was certainly no modern multiplex. I once described it to my friends as like sitting on the side of a mountain watching a portable TV. That's very evocative. <laughs> but it did have a bar, fruit machines, and vastly overpriced hot dogs and sweets. So, Ollie, answer me this. Why does the Unit 4 not qualify as a multiplex cinema? Because it only had four screens. That's why. Uh, the definition by the industry of a multiplex cinema is a purpose-built cinema with five or more screens. Right. And and just by being early at a time where people may have not been acquainted with the idea of there being five screens, it's still not going to rescue itself by having four. No, well, I don't think in truth there are that many cinemas with five screens when you think about it. I think the reason the level was set at five is because actually there were quite a lot. Sorry to dash your childhood uh, dreams. Uh, there were quite a lot of cinemas around the country with four screens because if you think about it, what there were all over the country... Uh, you know, in the 30s and 40s, mm. were these huge auditoria that had two levels, right? One mm. big screen. And so obviously what happens as the 70s comes along and cinema attendances drop uh, is you turn the stalls of the theatre oh. into two screens and you turn the circle, the uh, the gallery, into two screens. Right. It's quite easy to make a four-screen cinema out of a one-screen big cinema. You wouldn't typically be able to fit five because then you've got cinemas that have only got 20 seats in. They're not profitable. Asymmetrical. Yeah. <laughs> well, they need a certain minimum number of seats to make money. Although I love screen five at the Brixton Ritzy. Armchairs, oh, yeah, little yeah. tables lot of leg room but never a modern, modern renovation you see uh, in the old days that yep. would have been renovated to a four at most um so uh the level was set at five but actually the point opened with 10 so i mean it, it blew merseyside out of the park immediately imagine what that must have been like only ever been in a cinema that has three or four screens then suddenly, ten ten. out at a time <laughs> back then yeah but actually i mean that's the problem with multiplexes isn't it yeah yes they revived the british uh, cinema going experience but it's mostly people seeing the same Star Wars reboot in five mm. different screens. The whole point was supposed to be, you know, you'd have an arty film in screen one and a naughty film in screen two and a kid's film in screen three and a sci-fi film in screen four. And then and you'd a have... a documentary no one wants to watch screen five. Exactly. And then you'd have in the other five screens the big blockbuster. But actually, it's just all the blockbuster, isn't it? It's just Harry Potter in every screen starting 20 minutes later and in different forms of uh, dimensional uh, representation. And it always that, has been. That explains why Milton Keynes points 10 screens are no longer with us. No, it doesn't. Uh, no. What explains why Milton Keynes 10 screens are no longer with us is the continuing evolution of the multiplex. Audiences want more, Helen, and you more. simply cannot fit into the point an IMAX size screen, which is what the modern multiplex attendee wants. Is it? Yeah. I don't think I've ever wanted an IMAX screen. No, well, you, you see, but you'd be the customer who'd modern. go to the, that cinema because you'd think, oh, that's the cool cinema. And you'd choose not to pay the extra for the IMAX, but you'd still choose the one potentially market research says. I mean, you personally would wouldn't. Would I? Why are you, you suggesting that I'm such a sheep? I'm, I'm not. But the, a lady in your uh, age category and background mm -hmm. would be more likely to choose the one with the IMAX screen because they'd think it was cutting edge, even if they chose not to pay the extra for the 3D and the I IMAX. I don't want my edges to be cut. Yeah, well. Telford's getting a new IMAX. I just, uh, there you go. Realized. Nothing says this story that I'm telling you better than Telford's getting a new IMAX. This is how cinemas develop. This Here's is what I'm telling is, you. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that a lot of them now, are, well, not a lot, I think there's only two in the country but they're trying to expand it are having these d-box seats excuse you uh, which is your d-box um kind of theme park style simulator seats oh like sort oh, of 40s no. cinema yeah it's in a couple of screens and the idea is like w watch along and become immersive with the film they're just like broken massage chairs aren't they yeah well look i i get it for indiana jones 
But for Pride and Prejudice, it's a bit weird. Look at Spay with water when he goes in the lake. Yeah. <laughs> yo, yo, one love. The best thing about tennis is the a women's tennis, a women's tennis. Hearing those ladies all going it makes me go in my pants. Answer Me This Sports Day, out now at answermethispodcast.com slash albums. Here's a question from Kat, uh, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why is a groom, uh, as in bride and groom, called a groom? Uh, is there any connection to a horse and groom or no. to grooming oneself? Um, no. The horse groom is from the Middle English for young man, because presumably it would be young men that had that job, or boys. If there was any connection, it would be insulting to the bride wouldn't it if you were you, then the bride would be the uh, horse in that equation it's more more appropriate for her stylist yes absolutely. than uh, her husband yeah but groom is from uh, bridegroom which is from the old english word uh, breed guma which meant suitor as in the guma meant man and the breed was woman who is uh, going to be married what was the word breed breed guma breed guma so it still means really bride and suitor of the bride yeah mm. the thing what's interesting about it i find is that from a proprietorial sense, the father giving away the wife and the wife then becoming the ownership of the man. Uh, you know, it is traditional, but it's something that now seems sexist. And yet, the word bridegroom, actually, out of all of the words associated with weddings, that almost suggests the man is kind of more property of the woman. Well, that's right. Yes, for yeah. a very brief period. Yes, <laughs> sure. No, I understand. But do you know what I mean? It's quite interesting. It's actually oddly emasculating, isn't it? You know, what's your role here? I'm the bridegroom. You know, or rather like I'm the bride stylist and I'm the bridesmaid. I'm the bridegroom. I'm, I'm just part groom. of the bride's yeah. day, basically. Yeah. After that brief time of him being subordinate, she was then his legal property. A, a lifetime no of cooking rights. and cleaning and sex on demand. And drudgery and popping out children till she died. <laughs> Good time. Happy well, wedding season, yeah. everybody. <laughs> well, here's a question from John in Melbourne, uh, who says, uh, we have a friend who is a reformed alcoholic and no longer drinks grog. Kind of goes with the reformed alcoholic. It does, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Yes, yeah. In a way, you're proving your earlier statement. He recently invited us over for dinner and we weren't sure whether to take along a bottle of wine to share with the other guests or whether to just take some soft drinks. In the end, we decided to just take soft drink. Someone else took wine for others to share and a bottle of non-alcoholic champagne for the host. Don't know whether that's a good move because often people who are trying to stay away from booze don't want things that are booze-like. Yeah, absolutely. So, Helen, answer me this. When one is sharing a meal with a reformed alcoholic, is it okay to drink wine and ignore their weakness or should you avoid producing wine altogether and possibly offend them by highlighting their weakness highlighting their weakness it's your weakness if you can't get through an evening without wine arguably but then it's I... very it takes a lot of strength to give up something yeah oh yeah, yeah no i agree I, I don't take issue with you taking issue with his use of the word weakness Good. but my issue is right fine but i wouldn't say necessarily it is weakness to bring wine along to a dinner party it is convention yes but i think yeah. it'd be different at a restaurant i think it would be okay to order drinks there but bringing it into someone's home if he was halal you wouldn't bring bacon bites would you i think well, that's, exactly. that's the rule yeah. I, and if they're a vegetarian hopefully you would find it in you not to bring a bag of raw meat like do you mind just uh, sticking this in the oven for me because mm. uh, i can't last for two hours without my meat. meat um so i think the easy get out of this is to take a nice box of chocolates Yes, uh, I agree. Although if everyone brings chocolates, then you've got too many chocolates. Yes, but then they can give them away as a present later. Josh from Reading, I think. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. When did uh, Leningrad change its name back to St. Petersburg? Because I find out this party, he says 
like a year or two ago, but I think it was way before that. It was before that, Josh. Well done. You win. It was 1991 at the end of the Soviet Union that they changed Leningrad back to St. Petersburg. Which Are there the still name. Russians who call it Leningrad? There Clinging is, on desperately to uh, There the is Soviet a movement area. led by the head of the Communist Party, Gennady uh, Zyuganov. It's okay that you paused there just before saying his name, because in the future we can uh, edit in whoever the current leader is before they get assassinated. It's They'll edit it in yeah. themselves. <laughs> um, and um, he wants to bring back Leningrad and Stalingrad. But um, Petersburg was founded in 1703 by Peter the Great. He called it Sankt Peterburg um, because he wanted it to sound Dutch because he wanted the city to be like one of the uh, grand port cities of Western Europe because he really wanted uh, that influence in Russia. So like Amsterdam, he was uh, very keen on. And then in 1914, they changed it from St. Petersburg to Petrograd because they thought St. Petersburg sounded too German and obviously they weren't getting on too well at the time. And then after the death of uh, Lenin in 1924, they changed it to Leningrad to celebrate him. So, Peter the Great, really, naming it after himself, really. Yeah. But um, during the time it was called Leningrad, apparently the locals still called it Peter, so um, I suppose these things stick. And I think in, in 1991 there was a vote amongst the populace to see whether they wanted to change it back, and they did. Here's a question from Taleb in Monaco, uh, who says, I was reading an article about a bunch of hippies... <laughs> Do you think from Monaco everyone just seems like a bunch of hippies? <laughs> bunch of hippies running the British government. <laughs> bunch of hippies that pay their taxes. Uh, who had inadvertently done a big Mercedes sign instead of a peace sign. Mm. They are kind of similar, aren't they? I never thought about yeah, that. But it's easy to convert a Mercedes logo into a peace sign. It's only one more pen stroke. Yeah. Maybe you saw an unfinished peace sign. So, Helen, answer <laughs> me this. Why is the symbol of peace a three-pointed star in a circle with a line at the bottom? When was that adopted? Does it predate hippies? It does predate hippies because it was uh, first used at Easter 1958 when there was the first big anti-nuclear march in the UK. It was from London to Aldermaston in Berkshire, which was the site of the Atomic Weapons Research Establishment. So the Direct Action Committee Against Nuclear War and the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, which we know as CND, teamed up, had this march, and the logo was designed by a graphic designer called Gerald Holtham because they thought there should be some symbol to unify the whole march. So they had like 500 round placards with the symbol on and it was on the banners and they had little ceramic badges with it on. And there are two explanations for why... It looks like it does. So it looks like a tree to me. Like an upside down tree or like a tree with roots? Oh, I don't know which way around is it supposed to be. Oh, I see, right. Forked at the bottom. Oh, okay. So the common explanation is that the symbol is the semaphore for N and D, meaning nuclear disarmament. The N is like the two little angular bits at the bottom and the D is the straight line. But Gerald Holtham also said that he uh, drew himself in deep despair so a forlorn looking stick figure and then put a circle around it Hmm. so believe what you will but apparently this symbol may have predated gerald holton because it also appears on the the graves of ss soldiers who died in world war ii not so peaceful there well i suppose it's a star really isn't it i mean actually that's what it looks like the most the mercedes logo was based on a star yeah but this doesn't look like a star because it's very bottom heavy but it looks like the Mercedes logo. So, you know, the, the reason why you're going to find any kind of element in history that looks a bit like it is because it does look a bit like a star. It's a basic shape, isn't it? Yeah, but you can see how, how it became successful because it's very easy to replicate and for hippies to draw on their stuff and uh, very recognisable. And yet VW somehow managed to colonise the hippie uh, vehicle market. <laughs> how did Mercedes not capitalise on that? They make vans. Yeah, I suppose. Too expensive. Yeah, I guess. Mm. Error. In the original Mercedes logo, the three uh, elements of it, 
I mean, I think with these things, they always reverse engineer it afterwards, don't they, and pretend it stood for something that it didn't. Mm. As I say, really, it's a star. Uh, but the three elements of it, they say, were because the company's ambitions were to go on land, sea and air. And how's that going for them? Have they managed to do the flying hovercraft yet? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a Mercedes component in an aeroplane somewhere, yeah. I'd imagine they've achieved that. I'm sure they, they supplied the Luftwaffe at one point. Another. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And they designed my school bus, so that's land covered. It's <laughs> <laughs> their most famous achievement, isn't it? Luftwaffe yeah. Helen school bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But if you want to baguette another episode of Answer Me This, not baguette, baguette, uh, then please send us your questions via email, phone or Skype, and our contact details are on our website. Answer me this podcast.com on there as well you can find links to follow us on twitter and facebook to be our online friend yes although actually something i should say i've now set up my own facebook page as well Um, how's that going it's it's all right i've got uh in two weeks i'm gonna sound blase now to people that are listening that have got like 20 friends got 960 something likes that does seem good it's okay but we've got thousands of listeners i just expected a a healthier number so anyway i'm telling you now listeners facebook.com slash ollie man yeah but facebook.com slash answer me this because a fraction of our listeners actually like this show on facebook yes that's true yeah we'll do both and do visit our website for additional questions that were not in the show and some of your feedback that you send in and every other week when there's no answer me this there's a post with other stuff that we've been in and other stuff we've been listening to that's right yes uh, all that remains is for us to remind you to go to answer me this store.com as well to buy our stuff and support our show and please join us again in two weeks bye, bye.